Friday, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. I'm your host, Michelle Burrard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, and I'm really happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that might bring. Now, it has been an exciting 2021 already. If any of us were thinking things would calm down after the ball drop, we were clearly mistaken. Nonetheless, life goes on and we continue to do what we do and I know you guys do too. Just take good care of yourselves and your loved ones and we will all get through this. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. And though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guest on the December 18th, 2020 show, author and entrepreneur, Sharon May King. You can connect with Sharon on social media and at her website, SharonKingWorldwide.com. If you miss that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the December 18th show at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a super important message, and I really hope that you share this with the youth. It's not just for the youth, though. Sometimes we adults need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common Movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. I was supposed to take January off, but, you know, things got wild in the United States at the beginning of the month. You know, we're just coming over some crazy times. So I decided to switch the schedule around. This week's interview is so timely, given everything that's happening right now. And my guest is an absolute delight. Deloria Nelson Street is the president of Authentic Culture and Engagement Solutions, Inc., ACE. ACE is a dynamic consulting firm that focuses on providing solutions to companies who want to enhance and strengthen their culture through authentic engagement and inclusion. Dee was recently the Managing Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Charles Schwab and Company, where she led the national inclusion effort for the firm. Deloria is a published author and amazing speaker who has worked professionally in human resources for more than 25 years with various Fortune 500 companies, including Walt Disney World. Deloria's personal brand is positive energy, courage, authenticity, and an uplifting spirit. Her workshops and keynotes are engaging, educational, and transformational. Dee has a BA in Mass Communications and an MPA in Human Resources from Clark Atlanta University. Her commitment to diversity and inclusion stems from her personal mission statement, which encapsulates helping people find and leverage their unique gifts. In her spare time, you will find her writing poetry, spoiling her twin granddaughters, or on the farm with her husband, children, and adorable goats. So I'd like to welcome Deloria Nelson Street to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Deloria, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Well, you may have heard. Well, I know you've heard because I told you. Uh, I like to start my interviews with two questions. So are you ready for my two questions? I am. Okay. Deloria Nelson Street, who are you and how did you become who you are today? Wow. I am a authentic, courageous, loving freedom fighter. Yeah. How did I become who I am today? Wow. I think it's just a series series of different events that shape you. Of uh, my dad is an attorney and was always fighting for civil rights. Had a lot of moxie. My mom was and is. They both are still alive, so that's a blessing. 
a super independent woman who just felt like she wanted to live by her own rules. Uh, I think starting out, I've always been kind of a mediator. So I think my style, which is very, I think warm and personable has often been mistaken as weak. And <laughs> that is a, a big mistake. I choose how to use my energy. So I am very calm of, in my book, I talk about some of the things I have a son, he's 27 now, but when he was young, he had seizure disorder. So I had to just kind of learn how to be calm in the midst of crises because he had several seizures that almost uh, took his life. But I just believe in everybody's ability to use their gifts, to, 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 to distribute, to give, and to allow us something that we wouldn't have. I mean, I think gifts are as unique as DNA. And if people can love themselves enough, they can find, nurture that gift and then share it. And so I've always been very forgiving, but I had to learn to offer that same level of forgiveness to myself as I navigated life and made mistakes. And so I just believe that we all are on a quest to be the best version of ourselves possible. And some of what I do, because I also do coaching, is really helping people to find themselves and to get rid of all of that junk that people tell us, these disempowering beliefs that keep us stuck and just be, be themselves because that's all we need you to be. Wow, okay. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> so an authentic, courageous, loving freedom fighter. That's a lot. Yeah. Why freedom fighter? What, what, why that particular phrase? Yeah, because I think everyone wants to be free, but everybody doesn't know how to, to get freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think in my almost 30 years in corporate America, in human resources and employee relations, where I did investigations on racism and uh, sexual harassment and things of that nature, I learned how to help free others, right? I've mm -hmm. knocked down doors that I may never walk through. Mm -hmm. And I've always had the courage to look people in their face, regardless of their level with the company and speak truth to power. And in doing that, and a lot of times it created a freedom for people who were feeling oppressed, whether it was at work, in coaching, whether people feel oppressed in relationships, just give people the tools of to get their freedom, to give them permission to be themselves and to love themselves and to live freely, living up to their own expectations, not others' expectations or stereotypes of them. Now, that's an important role in corporate America, but really not just in corporate America. We have all kinds of stuff going on right now. Yes. Um, we happen to be recording this interview on January 6th, 2021. And just, you know, I'm gonna tell you what I was doing earlier today. I was actually putting together a grocery list because I wanted to make king cake because you today- Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you see, I said it right, Narlins. And you make groceries, do you make groceries? Yes, ma'am, I make groceries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have friends from um, the Big Easy. I know about making groceries. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was putting together my list to have Instacart bring me my little stuff so I could make my king cake tonight. <laughs> and then I get notices on my iPad about the Capitol being stormed. Yeah. This could be the beginning of the end of the United States as we know it. Well, I believe it is the beginning of the end of the United States as we know it. Because once you pull that genie out, anybody who lives in anywhere in Central or South America or parts of the Caribbean will tell you that's a really hard genie to put back in the bottle. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know if we want to put it back in, right? There's yeah. a part of me that as tragic as it is, it is the reality of what a lot of people have been denying, right? So I see it as a big mirror 
of the truths of our founding, the truths of the inequity, the privilege, and the double standards that people of color see clearly and have lived for centuries, mm -hmm. but other people have had the privilege to somewhat ignore. The thing that's really interesting to me is that I feel like a lot of Black people are going to see this. Mm -hmm. And like my son and I were sitting here watching it going, oh yeah, if that was a bunch of Black folks up there, we wouldn't have made it to the steps. Nope. We'd have been mowed down with yep. gunfire. Um, all of this kind of coddling, <laughs> letting the people get up in there and break windows and get into people, get sit in, in the seats of senators and right. Congress people and whatnot. Right. <laughs> now, you know, we wouldn't have gotten that far. Of course and not. The thing that I think is so fascinating about this is that I am, nobody I know is surprised by it. Nobody I know closely is surprised by it, but other people, particularly a lot of white people that I've been talking to, chatting with today, they seem shocked. They seem surprised. And furthermore, in their own houses, there's the vision about what this is hmm. and what it means. And denial I'm like, is, denial is a powerful emotion. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. I mean, because how can it be shocking? The writing has been on the wall. Uh, when people used to talk about the whistle, whatever the thing, it's not even a whistle. It, I mean, it has been boldly said, it's been. The, the light, the fire keeps being lit. It's, it's, people have been encouraged to create an insurrection. Right. People have been encouraged to not let them treat us this way. People have been encouraged, instigated, and pushed toward violence. And then when it happens to sit there and go, <gasps> I find that a little bit disingenuous, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I just do. Um, mm -hmm. Whether you want to believe it uh, or not, it has been clear. Now, I get that it's clearer to people who are protesting the murders of unarmed Black people and are called looters and rioters and get pepper sprayed. I get that we get it. But just the, the contrast was just so overwhelmingly unfair that I find myself just looking at it and just, hmm, yeah, this, this is America. This unfortunately is the history of how we've operated for centuries and how the accountability has never been there for those who impart the most violence mm -hmm. against of others and especially the least of these, whether they're brown, black, or immigrants. And well, one of, one of the are, things I think is really interesting about what you say though, is that there's this, this disingenuousness. Oh, People yeah. are looking at this and some of them are saying, yeah, we're defending freedom. And you're like, in, in what way are, are we're defending democracy? In what way are you defending democracy? I just got a note that said, woman shot at US Capitol dies. She died. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. How you defending freedom and somebody died, right? But it's, it's, it's the narrative. I mean, I really think people can create their own reality. Mm -hmm. And that's what has happened. And if you have someone else who plays into it, you have TV stations or radio stations or chat groups who keep saying the same thing, keep reverberating the same message. If you aren't doing your own research, if you aren't studying history, if you aren't reading it, you have become a part of the problem and mm -hmm. you are just falling into line. I mean, we think about it. My husband used to say, this is what happened with Hitler. This is what happened with Hitler. And he's from Grenada. So he knows a little bit about, you know, unfairness, how Grenada as small as they were was considered a threat the United States and got bombed. I mean, it was crazy yeah. telling me about it. And then I was like, what? Because I hadn't really heard about it. Because, you know, we have a really good way of 
sharing what makes America looks great and hiding yeah. what doesn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 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 clear we have to tell ourselves the truth to really get free. We can continue to pretend and act like what's happening is not happening and then wake up and not even recognize ourselves or not even recognize our country, or we can deal with the reality of the the murder, the hate, the greed that got us here. Now, once again, I'm not one of these folks that say, I hate America, people go back home. Look, I'm here, I helped build this country, so I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it is a disservice to not look at what has happened because if you don't look at the past, you can be doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And so I, as, as hard as it was to watch, I'm really hoping that people will take off these rose colored glasses, quit practicing self-deception and get into the reality of the choices we've made, the challenges and the ugly and the good, but mm-hmm. start doing the work and right. quit pretending. Yeah. Well, but that, that's what happens, I think, in a lot of environments. It happens in the corporate environment. Oh, yeah. Um, where I, you can see, I, I have been observing different perspectives where there are things that I can clearly see are racial or cultural differences. And I acknowledge them as racial or cultural differences. It doesn't mean they're necessarily all bad. Some of them are just the ways that people approach things. And you come from a, a background of, of, cultural engagement. So you understand what I mean when I say that, you know, if you come out of a very traditional Asian culture, for example, you will approach things in a particular way because of the way that your society operated. Absolutely. Same thing, you know, I I lived in Mexico some years back and we had cross-cultural training when we went. And one of the things I observed was that there are certain things that the people did not want, like, (laughs) If, if there was a project going on, um, my husband was an engineer, my ex-husband, but my was an engineer and he was leading a team there. The Mexican workers did not want to tell him they could not do something by a certain date. So they would agree to it, but then the, they would let the date slip and right. not acknowledge it. And it was a form of, of being um, respectful in their mind, respectful of mm-hmm. his his position right like to I not tell, tell no. him no right. yep as opposed to saying understanding that as an american we're like okay if you can't do it by that date that's cool let right. us know so sure. we can plan accordingly right Absolutely. and i but if we had not had cross-cultural training on these things we would not have come to understand that no i agree because we look at it from our own mindset and our point of view and i have two examples of One is they, and it was the Asian culture versus American. And they say, draw a picture of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so when the Asians would draw a picture of themselves, they would draw the picture of themselves, maybe their family, the village, the house. Mm -hmm. uh, And we would just draw that selfie, right? Mm -hmm. Because they are raised to be more interdependent. They don't see themselves as an individual. They see themselves as a part of a greater society, Mm -hmm. the earth, the parented everything and we just Mm -hmm. like hey it's just me and so so much of that is what is needed to have great teams to be able to see things in certain ways and to have that innovation that boosts companies but you have to learn it acknowledge it and respect it because it's not right or wrong it's just the way I was raised and it was the way that I see things based on my culture so it's powerful if you can acknowledge it and if you can kind of gather it up and, and focus it in a way that's positive, as opposed to trying to ignore it and, you know, making round people trying to fit in the square holes, right? Or it, even, even not that. I notice in some companies, there's oh. even a tendency, and I think this is also a cultural difference, like East Coast to West Coast, South to North type thing, where um, particularly West Coast folks, they do not, in my observation, acknowledge racial issues no, in the no, same way. And I, California, they are very different. It's, but I think 
but they, they still have racial issues there. That's the thing do. that's fascinating about it's it. Is they, they don't Definitely acknowledge white, them. Though. No, especially not black and white. It's right. kind of a hodgepodge of gray, brown, whatever. It's all of these other things going on, but black and white is very hard to acknowledge, but it's real. But I think once again, they bought into the myth, especially in California, that right. they're so they're so liberal and they're so progressive. Inclusive and so yeah, forth. Yeah. Exactly. And they are with certain things. I mean, there's certain laws and rules, but you're still people. Exactly. And people are people and people have biases. And so you don't get to not have them. Right. And you happen but to be on the West Coast. It helps to, I think it helps so much to acknowledge. If you see them and you acknowledge them, you name a thing. It's easy. It's easier if you name a thing to deal with the thing, right? I agree. So- I think that's, it's just an observation I've had work because I was, I just came back from California uh, a few months back and it's just something I've observed. In some oh, yeah. ways, being down South is easier. Well, because it's in your face, right? And it's well, so, it's, it's, I don't know, I guess. I think I'm it's because, well, I think it's because we found a way to live together, even though we have these problems. Whereas in California, well, I, I felt it. like. Tom? It was so real. I don't think we could ignore it. Historically, it was so right. palpable. You you couldn't pretend what happened on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. You couldn't. I mean, it's just so there right. that you can't operate. But I think California kind of feels like there's a little more of a past. So I do think they kind of bob and weave around it. I think they don't feel like it's part of their past at all. That's the difference. I feel like they almost feel, because there were so many Black people who went out there and were able to do what they could not do down south, right? Uh, just like people going up north, they, you know, they, oh, I, I and, and so it. now you have where New Yorkers think, oh, New, why would you want to be, why right. would you want to be down south? Because uh, at least I know what I'm dealing with here. Up here, all kind of stuff happened, and y'all don't even acknowledge. Y'all act like it's it's the promised land, and I see things that maybe you don't see because right. you know what I mean. No, and no, I th- that's true. That that's true. Like you said, it's in different workplaces. It's in different geographic environments it's in different cultures as far as people yeah yeah it just manifests differently and I think Mm -hmm. we all deal with this so differently and I think that's part of the reason we have the problem we have right now is because so many of these folks are feeling like they're disenfranchised in some way but I feel like just because somebody else is has something doesn't mean that you don't have it well, that right. The pie is big enough for everybody to get a slice. It's fear, though, but it's been perpetuated as a zero-sum game. And it's mm-hmm. I feel like it's been perpetuated that way to gain power because fear, unfortunately, sometimes moves people more than love, right? Yeah. I mean, and so very strong if motivator. They give if they get that, then they're taking it from us. Come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the pie is big enough. If we work collectively, then the pie gets bigger, so we all get more. Yeah, but it's no just like in, you that. <laughs> well, it's just like when you're in traffic. If everybody cooperates, we'll all get where we're going on Hello. time. But it's when y'all be acting up. Okay. <laughs> that it causes problems. Cutting, right. Cutting people, stop off. cutting people off. There you cause accidents. Cut that flight. out. Thinking, mm, how, how, how far did that get you, right? You know? <laughs> now, I agree. I mean, that's a very good analogy. Yeah, we all trying to go to the same place cooperate and we can all get there as opposed to doing crazy stuff and somebody gets hurt in the accident and guess what it's going to take you longer or right. you may not get there because now the accident got traffic blacked up for two hours exactly yeah exactly really good so, okay can i use that one by all means by yeah, all I means like i'm a big fan <laughs> <laughs> i take other people's stuff all the time okay yeah <laughs> yeah i have maximizer my uh my gallop so i don't like to create i can go from good to great so yeah there you go. I like, I like yeah, it. Yeah. Best practice sharing. That's what, that was the HR word. Best practice sharing. Is that what they say? You see, I come from a training background. Okay. So yeah. we just, I, we didn't have a fancy term like that. We just always shared each other's ideas. Oh, yeah. However we did it, you know, there's yeah. somebody's got a good way of explaining was, things. Uh, yeah, that was the <laughs> HR way of saying, uh, I didn't create it, but it's a good best practice. So I'm gonna start using it. I like that. Okay. <laughs> I'm So I'm gonna start using that term. <laughs> Don't use too many of them because, you know, people either love or hate HR and sometimes it's a little more to hate. They'll be like, oh, you know, I think that's interesting because HR serves a very specific function in some companies, like especially small companies. It's really usually just or at least until recent years, it was, you know, we manage payroll, we manage your taxes, maybe your benefits. But larger companies tended to have more. They have more resources. Sure. 
and they also have more what do we want to say? Not more liabilities, but they were more likely to run into issues because of the oh, size absolutely. of the company and so yeah, forth. Yeah, the deeper your pockets are, the more litigious. <laughs> yes, litigious, our litigious. $3 word of the day. Um, <laughs> yeah, the more you're yeah. going to get sued. So now you have your employee relations, you got right. your business partners and you're putting things in place and exactly. Yeah, all of the above. But mm -hmm. that's where a role like yours really comes into play in some ways in that you can help by training people, by educating people, by helping cross those, those gaps culturally Absolutely. and different ways Absolutely. like that, right? Yeah. So why don't you explain in more detail what you, what you do, how you do it? Okay, so what I currently do, I'm the uh, president of Authentic Culture and Engagement Solutions, so ACE Solutions Group, and I really help companies to create more inclusion because inclusion directly impacts your culture mm -hmm. and a good culture directly impacts engagement and highly engaged companies are more productive, they're more profitable, they have less turnover and it just creates an environment where people want to be there. Mm -hmm. But I think to your point, people like to play games. And so it was funny when I started trying to figure out the name for my company, I kept trying to think about diversity and inclusion. And I was remember talking to a friend and I don't have diversity and inclusion in my title. And I'll tell you why it was really interesting. They interviewed a lot of CEOs and they were asking, what are your priorities? And like 90% of them said culture. And then they asked them about diversity and it ended up being like 30%, right? Mm -hmm. But come on, it's to me, it's the same thing because right. an inclusive culture is what we're all looking for because that when everybody feels like they can bring their whole self to work and not worry about what I have on, how my hair is, do I have locks and just do the job, mm -hmm. man, you're going to be hitting on all cylinders. But it was the buzzwords and the fear, mm -hmm. right, that it felt better to say culture and engagement. So I said, okay, you know what? I don't really care what you call it. I'm going to get in there and help you authentically look at your culture and figure out how to help it become more inclusive. And so some of what I do is a cultural audit, whereas a company's like, hey, we've been on this DNI journey for a while. We don't seem like we're making any movement or we're just at the start. And my thing is I ask them, where do you think you are on the continuum? And they may say, I say one to 10. 10 is you're inclusive. You have representation at all levels, introverts, extroverts, LGBT, black, brown, Muslim. Everybody's just very few say 10. Uh, but the reality is people don't always know where they are, right? Mm -hmm. Where they think they are and where they are, therein lies the gap. And mm -hmm. I always make jokes a little bit about, it. I'm like, I'll tell the emperor he's butt ass naked, right? <laughs> I'll do it very professionally, right? right. <laughs> but so many people, and I think some CEOs realize this, the higher up you get, the less people will tell you the truth. Right. The more people are going to tell you what you want to hear. So a lot of what we do is we get in and we do uh, uh, a survey of we do one on one interviews. And it's always good to me for companies to use a third party because people will be more truthful because you don't work there. And I feel like right. I can trust her. She won't hold it against me. And the way we get the data out, we don't ever name names. Mm -hmm. Do that kind of figure out what is your culture? What do you think it is? What do people really feel? Where are the gaps, you know, and how can we help make it better? But you can't get anything better if you don't know where you are. And a lot of companies, I will say, don't know where they are. If you think about it, we've been doing DNI for 25 plus years, and the progress is minuscule, very right. minuscule. And I think it's because of fear, and it's because it requires behavioral change, right? Yeah, you can change some processes. But if people don't change, it's tough. And so coaching, I think, helps. I just finished up my certification with Coach Diversity and helping people understand what is it that you're missing or what part of DNI can you authentically hold on to? I think I'm helpful in that because one size doesn't fit all. And right. when you're not authentic, you can see it. You can see it, feel it, smell it, and it doesn't work 
especially with diversity and inclusion. So whether it's the business case, whether it's the numbers, whether it's the innovation, you have to figure out what part of this DNI thing resonates with you and then let's build it from there. So you as a leader, as a CEO can really be committed and be able to share that commitment and passion with your organization at large. So one of the things that I've, I've wondered about is there's a lot of focus on large companies, but most Americans are actually working for small companies. Yeah. And those companies don't typically either have the time or resources or will right. to deal with these issues. So how do we impact what I'm going to call corporate America as a whole Sure. when the majority of the employers probably don't put any effort or minimal effort at best into these types of things? I think you're right. I think it's, it's through leadership. I would say inclusive leadership and doing the work on yourself. So, you know, a lot of times an unconscious bias, it's really about doing that introspection to figure out where your biases are of it doesn't have to be this big formal class because to your point the smaller companies don't have that but you can go to uh, I think it's implicit bias at harvard.com and there is a implicit bias test that you can take and it will give you the score it's free and it shows you where your biases are once you do that then you as a leader of people whether you're in a tiny company or you're in a large company, should do some of the work to do the research to figure out how you got those biases and what you can do to set them aside. So I do think it's a leadership thing. I mean, if you think about it, people talk about people leave people, not companies. Mm -hmm. So you can be a really good, solid, inclusive leader at a little tiny company. And your team can be dynamic and breaking records and doing all of this stuff because you treat people as individuals you understand that equity and equal is not the same. You know, don't give me childcare when I don't have any kids, but I got fur babies, right? Right. Equity for me is, okay, I don't need this because I don't have kids, but can I have pet insurance? Because my, my fur babies are like my kids. Right. So understanding equity and meeting people where they are mm-hmm. and not trying to force fit. So I do think it's, individual accountability for inclusive leadership and just recognizing, you know, it's like, if you think about a sports team, everybody knows the strengths of the people on the team, right? Right. Your star player may be a great shooter, but he's a horrible rebounder, but you have someone that's a great rebounder, you know, that's on the team. I mean, just understanding where everybody's strengths are and how the strengths can work together for the good of the team. And that's what a good leader does. And they don't try to make a person into everything because that never works. Well, and so when you're working with, uh, let's say a larger company, what kinds of things do you do specifically with them? Do you hold classes? Do you? Yeah, it depends on what they want, right? I mean, I think once again, one size doesn't fit all. So some companies want to start out with the training. So I do a lot of unconscious bias and I also renamed it unintended consequences because believe it or not, words matter. They've done studies and they say that unconscious bias kind of sets people back. Nobody wants to believe their bias. I was like, okay, I don't care what you call it. Unintended consequences, right? Because the reality is because of your bias, you're making choices for people that are creating consequences that you didn't intend, right? Mm-hmm. You got this all white male team working on a project and you're going to fail because your unconscious bias told you that the last five people that did really great on that team looked like that person or whatever. And you put it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're creating an unintended consequence. Or I have examples and people love this one. Uh, whereas there was an example I give where you have like one of your best sales leaders just went out on maternity leave and had her first child. While mm-hmm. she's out, this big book of business comes in. She's a great leader, has a good balance of the, the strategic and the, the, the tactical and all of the above. But you're like, ooh, this is going to require a lot of traveling. She's a new mom. I remember how it was when I was a new mom, if they have a female boss. Or oh, I remember how my wife did it, if it's a male boss. And you don't expose her to that opportunity because you're mm-hmm. trying to help her. 
you've right. now created an unintended consequence. But why is that? Because of your bias in what the role should be with the mother and her child. What right. you didn't realize is this young lady is the primary breadwinner and her husband is going to be a stay-at-home dad. Right. He didn't share that with you. So now you have disenfranchised your best leader because of some assumptions that you made. So a lot of it really is unintended consequences because based on, you know, your values, how you've been raised or what you think, you think you're helping the person out, but you are letting your bias block them from opportunities, thereby not having the best person on the team or the best leader. Well, and you're in the industry. So, you know, you've, I'm sure you've been following the tech companies and they're getting blasted. Google and Facebook most recently, again, again, not for the first time. How common are these issues? I know in tech, this is a particular issue and it impacts not just the work environment, but also the software that's created. Oh yeah, that's right? the AI myth. Mm-hmm. There's, well, there's the AI issue, but also just general, like things you don't think about with when software is created, if you're not building in uh, enough assess- accessibility, for example, sure, for people, absolutely. things of that nature. So so what's, what's the word amongst leaders in your field about these big companies and how to get them to really change? Because they say they're changing. They say they're doing things. Then, you know, six months later, a new report comes out or more whistleblowing about how hard it is to... Because they aren't being authentic. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to tell yourself the truth about where you are and what you don't know. And I think what happens is a lot of times, and that's why I am so glad I am independent because it is hard to be as courageous as you want to be when you're working in a company because people don't always want to hear the truth. Yeah. So they, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to create this program, but you aren't dealing with the issues. I mean, I have found in some companies, the worst, when you do recruiting and hiring, you have Mm -hmm. funnels. And so the funnels show you where people get stuck. I found that a lot of companies, it's the freaking recruitment team that has the, the largest amount of bias. And right. it's funny because you would think it would be the hiring managers. But a lot of times these recruiters, talent acquisition specialists, and not intentionally are blocking a lot of the diversity that they say they want. Interesting. Yeah, and because they are, some of it's timing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we need somebody really quickly. And who do I have that's the bulk of who's applying is mm-hmm. the traditional candidate. So right. I'm moving fast. Of I'm not partnering with HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. Right. I, you know, I think it was a mom's maybe saying, if you always do what you always did, then you always get what you always got. Mm-hmm. You're saying that you want something different, but the behavior isn't changing. Right. You aren't creating new pipelines. You're not trying to hire. There's studies that talk about if you have a diverse of recruitment team or if you have a diverse panel of, of interview committee, the diversity increases 50% for African-Americans, 50% for women, just by having people that look like them on the interview committee. Because once again, because we're raised and our culture is different, I'm going to hear something different. So what I may hear as maybe an Asian person that says, oh, they're so respectful as someone else, I may go, oh, they're too shy. Or why are they looking at me in the eyes? I worked for Disney for a while and we had a lot of Hispanic and Haitian um, Mm -hmm. in housekeeping. And we had really tried to start getting a lot more leadership, but Mm -hmm. culturally they were not supposed to self-nominate. That was disrespectful. Mm-hmm. You should come to me and say, you want me to do this. Me saying I want to be a manager is like me being disrespectful and putting myself on the same level. So oh. once again, the eye contact for us, if they, oh, they looked me straight in the eye and I knew they were telling people, child, you know, people can lie looking straight in your face, yep. right? But in other cultures, it's disrespectful. It's like a stare down to look at you directly in the exactly. eye. Exactly. So when you have the different cultures represented on the interview committee, they can see the value and aren't distracted by cultural norms, which you were talking about earlier, that mm-hmm. other people don't see and they assign things to it that aren't true. Right. You know, they right. didn't shake my hand really tough. So they aren't courageous or that. 
it, it has nothing to do with how they're going to perform on the job. I mean, I even challenge people now about what is professionalism, right? Right. Because they decided a long time ago that our natural hair wasn't professional, right? Right. And so, well, oh, her hair's not professional. What, what does, how does professional hair look? <laughs> well, and then the lady uh, who was talking about Google, she was actually in diversity in, in, at Google, said that something about her accent was considered one of the managers over there told her her accent was unprofessional because she's from, I think, Baltimore or New York, you know, some place that, that has a pretty oh, yeah. strong East oh, Coast yeah. accent. Isn't that crazy? But, but there are studies that even talk about how accents that are like British or whatever are considered, woo, people want to hear it. And they mm -hmm. think what you're saying makes sense. Whereas accents from Latin America, other places, people don't think you're as intelligent. It's crazy. Or down South. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> They'll that play a Southerner true. with a quickness. Right. Yeah, they don't think you're smart, right? So you know? all of these things we've assigned to things that, if you think about it, if we ever thought about it, they make no sense. But they yeah. keep getting passed down, and people tell you this, and you know, like I said, right? I'm not a tattoo kind of person, but mm -hmm. how has a tattoo ever kept someone from contributing amazing things? It can't. Right. It and doesn't. it varies so much from place to place. Like Absolutely. coming from down South, uh, uh, honestly, I had never seen so many tattoos in my life until I went out to California. Everybody was yep. tatted up. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, grandmas in the oh, yeah. grocery store all tatted. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I don't even know what this is. But that's because down here, that's not as common. It's obviously become more common sure, in recent okay. years. But no, but, you're right. I mean, starting out, it's the same thing with hair. I mean, my dad and those, like when I started wearing braids, my dad was kind of like, eh. Not that he wasn't yeah. a freedom fighter, but in his era, you had to assimilate more, at least in your exactly. clothing and be what was considered super professional to get the opportunity. Right. So you didn't really want to do anything to deviate from that, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, because it was always hard enough for us to get an opportunity. And unfortunately, we knew if one got it, we were representing the whole race. We didn't we didn't get the opportunity to just represent ourselves, right? Right. So girl, little black girl, if you mess up, they may not yep. hire anybody black for you know four years. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's really and it's interesting too because so much of that still exists. The only place where I've seen any flexibility in that so far have been in either kind of more artistic areas or ironically in tech, you get a lot more flexibility, I think, than in I think other so parts not as, of business. They aren't looking at the professionalism, whatever that means, as much as the output. So you yeah, they're become, very big on output. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're I've, big I've on output like and data. Out of bed, right, you like you rolled out of bed, but you're brilliant and you can do these algorithms and the coding, so nobody's right. saying anything. Right now, that's for the that's for the developers more so, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. If you're in HR, if you're in training, if you're in any of these other oh, areas, sure. you still have the same kinds of things, even in tech. But if you're crawling around on the floor chasing wires, or if you're doing the software, oh, yeah. there's a lot more flexibility. Absolutely, you know. Right. I think it's really interesting too, and and not in a good, not interesting in a good way. Interesting as in something we should observe and try to figure out how to get rid of. Um, recently, a video of a doctor with COVID, a black doctor with COVID, went viral because she was talking about the care that she was getting. She was in a hospital in Indiana. Did you see that? Yeah, and then she died. And oh. she died. And she was telling them that they were. This is how black people get killed because her doctor was being extraordinarily arrogant and was not, she's a doctor and she's telling them, I'm having this experience, this experience, this experience. She's even using her big fancy medical words yeah. to explain stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's like treating her like she's a junkie who wants pain meds. Yep. And it just, it blows my mind when something like this happens, but in healthcare in particular, this is so important because they, they've done the research and shown mm -hmm. that most people coming out of medical school still think that black people don't experience pain the same yep. way yep. that white oh, yeah, people They've do. done a lot of work on that. And recently I've acquired two or three of uh, medical healthcare clients. Mm -hmm. So it is interesting. The good news is there's more awareness, but mm -hmm. we have to tackle it, right? I mean, you think about what happened with Serena Williams and yeah. if she hadn't been able to push and push, like something's not right, something's not right. But once again, and I got this black girl magic cup that, you know, it's not always magic, it's work. But I do think we've been able to endure so many things 
and make it look easy that people have dehumanized us. Yeah. And so the pain doesn't seem as real because we don't whine about everything because we have to just keep going. But yeah. it doesn't mean that it's not real. And yeah. so, I mean, it's really alarming if you think about the, the inequity in treatment in a healthcare setting. But the reality is, and this is what I tell people, inequity exists in every institution that we have in the mm -hmm. United States. There yeah. is not one that escaped it, but I think we kind of forget or are in denial. But I mean, when after the George Floyd thing happened and a couple of companies wanted me to do things on race, I said, well, if you really want to get real, it's in everything. I went all the way back to the Star Spangled Banner, Spangled right. Banner that had that stanza about slaves right. and they took it out. Right. And then you think about real estate and red lighting. You mm -hmm. think about loans and the financial services environment. Mm -hmm. You think about education and the likelihood of black students to be disciplined more harshly, to be suspended more often. Mm -hmm. And it goes on and on. And it's in every um, black children to be put in ADHD. Absolutely. Designations ESD, and special absolutely. classes. Absolutely. And so forth. Yeah all of the above so it's not like one thing oh well you're just using the race car it's in everything yeah every institution that i touch is wrought with inequity well and this is why i know we were having a discussion i was having a discussion with some folks and went to have a book club you know and they wanted to because they want to specifically talk about race in a workplace environment and that's great and they wanted to pick certain books. And I said, but if you don't know the history, you can pick a book about, you know, racial issues in, you know, music or racial issues in car, the car industry or in mental health, whatever. But if you don't know the history of how the country developed, right. if you're not willing to go back there, I can't be a part of your group because the truth is you're going to be looking at this in isolation and not understanding. Right. And, and that's what I think I'm hearing you gap. say. And that is what happens. People don't know the history. So they just want to jump to, it's like the whole, it wasn't me. I didn't own any slaves. It was, but all of what came up to it has created where we are now, mm -hmm. whether you were direct owner or not, you have benefited from it. And right. I've been injured by it. Right. I mean, that is the reality. So I agree, but we just have to quit being so freaking sensitive. Mm -hmm. You know, like they say, the, the, you know, the white tears and the, oh, it, let's just deal with the reality that nobody's perfect, but let's look at what has happened so that we can really get healed and move forward. But if you just want to jump to the day and oh, all opportunities are equal and all, okay, yeah, it, it's not real. Mm -hmm. But you can't move forward. I mean, you can't ignore the history. And a lot of people do want folk to ignore the history and just let's just start where we are. Well, but where I am, the history is what put me where I am. Right. So I can't start where I am because it didn't start where I am. It started 400 years ago. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a well, I, yeah, I've been fine. I've been struggling with this for such a while. And then in light of everything that's going on right now, because I personally believe, and I'm, I'm bringing it back to where we were at the top of the show, basically, <laughs> um, because I personally believe that what we're looking at is people trying to kick off a second civil war because they're just not, they weren't happy with the first outcome and they're feeling like they're quote unquote, losing their country. And I wonder we, we can't possibly touch all of these people. How do we touch all of these people to understand? We're not saying that you're personally bad, but we're saying, though, that there has to be an acknowledgement of what has happened in the past. The United States never had a Truth and Reconciliation Committee. No, I agree. You know, like they've done in South Africa and other countries. They've, they've been doing these different uh, kind of truth committees to air the national grievance, I guess, and to kind of work through it right what in your estimation would be helpful for us to try and reach more of these folks who feel like they're so disenfranchised by virtue of black hispanic asian women whoever getting a seat at the table 
which we don't have that many seats. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say that from the outside, but it, you get one seat at the table and somebody's, ah, it's oh, a I know. It's actually kind of funny, right? Because things haven't changed much and the overall percentages of representation in C-suites and high places is so minuscule that you're like, really? Yeah, but not even in high places. I mean, I think it's really interesting. <laughs> any place, huh? <laughs> any place. You just try to get a space in the line at the grocery store. Somebody got something to say to you these days. You <laughs> you try to hold on, keep a mask on your face because <laughs> you don't want to catch the Rona. <laughs> they got something to say to you. These are like, why is my wearing a mask hurting you? I don't understand. Calm down, man. Right. You know, what do you, what are your thoughts? I mean, we're kind of making light in a way, but I really wonder if there's a way that we can touch more people and get people more curious about each other and less fearful of each other. Cause I think it's the fear that drives it is all the this. Fear. It's, it's having authentic relationships. I remember I talked about the Harvard implicit bias um, mm -hmm. test and our, of uh, I think it was in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books. Uh, it may have been blink, blink, blink. And the guy was so annoyed because he kept saying, I'm not biased, I'm not biased. Because nobody wants to be biased, but we all are. Mm -hmm. And so he kept taking the test and it was showing that he was biased against black folk and it just bothered him. So he kept taking it and kept taking it, kept getting the same scores. Then one time his score showed he was less biased. And it was like, well, what, what were you doing before that? And he had been watching the Olympics and he had been watching, I don't know if it was track and field, but it was an area where African-Americans were really soaring and excelling mm -hmm. and being shown in a positive light. And so what that showed is it really is about creating authentic relationships with the other, whatever mm -hmm. that other is, right? Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, a lot of unconscious bias is really about shortcuts. We are right. trying to process millions of pieces of information simultaneously. It's so much mm -hmm. we can't do it. So our brain creates shortcuts. So what the shortcut says is, okay, I'm going to just create categories, right? So I don't have all this time, but of I'm a, a black, uh, I'm a black woman. And so in my mind, white law enforcement officers may be racist. So in my mind, you know, I've not met any, there are none in my family. I'm not friends with any. So based on what I've seen on TV, I've created a little script. Okay white law enforcement officers, racist, right? So if I deal with one, I'm dealing with a place of apprehension, distrust, blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. if in fact my next door neighbor, right, was mm -hmm. a white law enforcement officer and we developed a good relationship, me and the wife and the husband, we would sit and eat cookies. We started babysitting kids, doing on dates and stuff. I realized, wow, Jim is a really cool guy. Mm -hmm. So now instead of the stereotypical tape that I have in my head for white law enforcement officers, I have an authentic relationship so I can put in real data. So now when another white law enforcement officer comes up to me, now I'm speeding, so I'm not happy, Right, right. <laughs> but I don't think the person is a monster. Right. It is authentic relationships with the other that can shift the narrative. Because if you experience that person for yourself and you have a good experience, then all of the stereotypical things that you were told because you've had a fear and you haven't had a real relationship will start to diminish. Right. So right. that really is the best thing that is really going to have an impact. Have an authentic relationship with somebody different. Step outside of your comfort zone and try to get to know people. And it All right, seems so simple, but it's real. That's the assignment. Everybody within the sound of our voices, go make a new friend of a I different mean, it's true. Go, if you I know Christian, go to a synagogue. If you, you know, I, I, it is true. Start realizing because if we started doing it more, we would realize we have more in common than we don't. But well, that is the theme of this show. The theme of this show, the reason I started somewhere in the middle is because I wanted people to understand that we all struggle. We all cha have challenges. We all have joys. We all want the same thing. Absolutely. And if we knew one another, if we understood oh. that about one another, we would have less fear and that fear would not drive us. We are more alike than we are different. Oh, wow. Look at how it came together. And we didn't practice this. Not at the all. Of the show. No, it, but it is true. <laughs> That's what it is. Create that relationship. 
Well, I am so excited that I have created a relationship with you. <laughs> this is fabulous. So Deloria, where can people connect with you? How can they get your book? Tell us every, all, all your social media, all of that. Let's see. So, um, you can send an email to Deloria Nelson at asolutionsgroup.com. That's a lot. You can find me Deloria Nelson on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find my Facebook page of my book from six figures to food stamps to six figures, the laugh lessons and blessings of the recession. You can find that on Amazon of, uh, you know, I have all this stuff. I don't use all of it. I'm still learning, but <laughs> LinkedIn, I do a lot of just, or you could just Google my name and you'll figure out different ways to get in touch with me. But I do coaching. I coach corporate people and corporations, but I also coach individuals, which I have to say, I enjoy probably a little more because yeah. <laughs> you can see that progress. And I have a few clients and they're just like beaming and checking stuff off the list and recognizing their power. And I just want everybody to be the best version of themselves possible. So if I have an opportunity to impact somebody in a positive way, I'm all about it. Coach Deloria at gmail.com. Just reach out. I would love to hear from you. That's awesome. Awesome. Deloria, thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. We're going to make a change. This, this We're talking about it, but that's the beginning of it. Yes. Things are going to get better. It's going to be tough for a minute, but if we seek the truth and are authentic and courageous, we'll get there. Yeah. And everybody be safe out there. Wear your masks. I'm going to say, oh, wear your masks. Come on. Come on. Right. <laughs> we trying to live. Trying to live. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. I said at the end of the last show that we would be taking January off, but events in Washington, D.C. last week shifted our schedule a bit. So we'll be taking time off for the rest of January and the beginning of February and sharing some encore presentations of great interviews with you. So make sure you tune in for our next show on January 29th, 2021. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the Somewhere in the Middle podcast.com. And don't forget to tune in to Julia Black and Me live on Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 p.m. Eastern for the Shelter in Place hashtag Pandemic 2020 live stream at https colon slash slash rebrand.ly slash shelter in place live stream. That's rebrand.ly slash shelter in place live stream. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.